Hey, if you're new with us, we want to welcome you. This is usually the time of the year where I talk about college football. And I mean, it's good to be a, a Hoosier and a Notre Dame Irish fan right now, isn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I don't even have time to do much with that this morning. So that kind of ruined my morning to start. Secondly, I intended to come up. It's week three of a five-week teaching series we've called Spark, uh, Igniting Revival. And we don't use a term like that lightly. And I believe that we're seeing that occur in our lifetime. And if you haven't seen it, I want you to experience it. And so week one, we talked about that every great move of God begins with prayer. And we challenged us to be a praying community. And week two, uh, Pastor Greg and Kathy talked about the spark of compassion. And we gave an example of one outpost making an impact in the life of orphans. And I had intended to come up here this weekend and to talk about the 65 plus growing micro churches throughout the Indiana area, making an impact in the local community, how we resource those, how I give you practical steps, of how you could start one and to ask God what is burdening you and how to go live and make an impact. And as I was praying this week and studying scripture, I got challenged and convicted to do something a little different. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. I woke up this morning. I came in here. I told somebody at the first service, pray for me because I'm about to go up. And I feel like this morning I woke up and God wants me to change a little bit of what I was going to share. And I just want you to know um, this is coming from a place of conviction. And I believe what God is doing in our lifetime in the middle of the most chaotic time, at least in my life of 2020. And I want to talk about how to actually see spiritual life change happen. And, and as I was praying and even woke up this morning and experienced that, I want to tell you, I want to tell you right off the bat, I don't know, this may not be a popular sermon. Uh, I, uh, my heart is that the Lord would use what is coming out. And sometimes when you make last minute decisions like this, God totally uses it and makes a huge impact. And sometimes it's terrible. So who knows what it's going to be? Prepare yourself. But I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn in the one in your book rack to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. As we talk about the spark, the spark this week is not just how to go and have action on mission like I intended to do, but I want to talk about how to have faith that truly changes the world. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that, that faith is hoping for what we can't see yet. And I want to tell you that there are things right now that we can't see of what God could potentially do in the next couple of months together. And as we study the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was somebody who was the cupbearer of the king, a prestigious role in the community. Uh, the, the Persians had in, invaded Babylon, uh, Babylonia and taken over everything. In 586 BC, the Babylonians had invaded the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. By 445 BC, when we find Nehemiah, the Persians have now taken over and they were pretty ruthless. But the Israelites eventually are going to be allowed to go back to the city of Jerusalem. And we see here in Nehemiah chapter one, he's asking some questions about what Jerusalem is like after over a hundred years of exile. And he's going to, in just 52 days, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And eventually the temple will even get rebuilt. In fact, 
we will find that in, he will become the governor of that area for 12 years. But it all begins here in Nehemiah chapter one. And if he could rebuild the wall in 52 days, what could you do in the next 52 days? And I just find it interesting, the timing of all this series and this message. 52 days from now, we will be a few days from sharing the theme of 2021 with you, which we're praying is a much better year. Amen? <laughs> 2021 is going to be amazing. It's going to be the greatest year ever, but we're going to be talking about the theme. And so 52 days, what do you think God could do with us as a church in the next 52 days? That's really my question. You ready to study God's word together, church? Well, I heard like three woos. Let me build you up a little bit this morning. We're about to read the ancient text that people lost their lives so that we could have it in our hands today and read and hear from God who inspired human beings to put this in writing that the Holy Spirit might communi and communicate to us this morning. Come on. Here's what it says, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hagaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived, and also about Jerusalem. So they've been living in exile, essentially as slaves, for generations by this point. And he's going to ask them what's happening with the Israelites as well as what's happening in the city of Jerusalem. And in verse three, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Interesting, I, I think we miss sometimes how emotionally moving this would be that their entire people group had been enslaved, pulled away from their homes for over a hundred years. They've been living in exile and the city is in complete uh, ruin, completely decimated. I know this year has been very difficult for us in the United States. For those from other countries, it's been something I've never experienced. I'm 40 years old, I've never experienced anything like this. And I've, but what I find interesting is that for many of us as American Christians, we now begin to associate things with the end times and the evil and things in our culture, which certainly is true. But we didn't do that for the past many decades and centuries where our brothers and sisters of Christ around the world were being persecuted, burned at the stake, being slain simply for their faith. And only when it impacts our daily life and whether our kids could go to school or not, all of a sudden it matters. I told you it might not be popular this morning. See, what I want to share with you is that the story that we find ourselves in, that we as Christians must embrace that God could make an impact during our lifetime, but let's not supersede God and put ourselves in the driver's seat and believe that we are in the important ones in this equation. See, I think I intended to come up and talk a little bit about how, you know, God wants to use you. He wants to put some fuel in your tank, the Holy Spirit, to go out with action and make an impact in the world to see the brokenness and the pain and the burdens and to transform it. And we're going to take some actions and here's the action steps to do it. You need the fuel of the Holy Spirit in your life to go and do it. And then I started getting convicted. If you really look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't say God's your fuel. He's pretty much the whole vehicle. The, the, the analogy it uses more often is to refer to us as a vessel. The vessel doesn't have control. 
The vessel relinquishes control that the river of God would flow through it. Many of us look at, man, we need to use our vocation and our place of influence to make an impact in the world, and that is certainly true. But your vocation pales in comparison to you being a vessel for the Spirit of God. And I think we miss sometimes what God could be doing because we can only see through the lens of our own little infinite or finite human mind rather than seeing our culture with the heart of God. When he sees the destruction and the decimation and the problems that occur, and certainly we've had them this year, he didn't instantly go, and here's how we're going to fix it. We're going to wrestle with the vocation this year or today. Some of us are going to need to give up some of our understanding of identity and vocation in this life. That you're more than just a nine to five job. You are more than a Democrat or Republican. You are more than the ways that you can fix things in our culture. You are created in the image of almighty God that has a covenant relationship with us, the promise to care for us, to be with us, but don't just make him into the fuel in your tank. You better make him the whole vehicle and allow him to drive that thing or you're going to be in some nasty places this year. See, when, when I read this passage and I look at the New Testament and what occurs, it would have been so easy to look at things differently. So Nehemiah gets there. Look at verse five with me. It says, when I heard these things, I began to make a plan of how we were going to rid the Persians of this city. There's no sharpening the pitchforks. There's no plan for what's ha- going to happen. Now, there's going to be some stuff later on that occurs, but what does he do first? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And that may be the most significant verse in this passage. And we're going to look at it in more detail in a second. And then he calls on God, verse five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then I'm going to break down that prayer. And then we're going to look at the very end, how he has to relook at his identity and what's important, truly important in this life. That's what I want us to do in our time together. But first, let me say this. If you become a vessel and not just a vocation, if, if he is your all in all, your everything, if he's driving the entire vehicle and not just your fuel, you truly can live this statement out. God can change our world through us. That, that you may not feel that important, but if you are a vessel in the next 52 days of the almighty God that created the universe in six days and took the seventh day off, he could change the problems in your life. He could change the problems in our community. He could change the problems in our country, in our world, but it's only going to happen when God does the change and not us. So we're going to start with prayer. God, I thank you for every person that, I mean, it's incredible that came out here to worship you. I thank you for every person attending online right now. God, I thank you for every person whose family right now is hurting and yet they're turning to you rather than away from you. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. God, I, I, I got up this morning and I just feel like you're doing something special this week. 
And I feel like you're doing something in the lives of people in our church and in our community that is unheard of. God, that our church today is actually larger in person through the four locations than we were before COVID started. That our online campus is exploding. And I pray, God, that it would be because your Holy Spirit changes our communities, God, changes our souls, that we become more like you. We'd be known more for, than just our political beliefs or parties that we associate with. We would become known more for just the things that we're against. But instead, God, we would be known for how the, your love, Jesus, is transforming our communities and that we only have so many years on this planet. God, use us today. We love you. We acknowledge your presence here. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Whatever is not of me, or it's not of you, God, and it's just of me, take it away, God. But what is of you through your word, speak to our soul. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. When was the last time you cried? Nehemiah weeps here. Uh, some of you, you, let's be honest, you cried like 17 times this week. Anybody out there, you've cried, you're a crier. You just, somebody says hello, you start crying. It's just the way God made you. I don't know why my wife would tell you the Lord messed up when he made me. He forgot the emotional part. And I, whatever reason, I rarely cry. I don't know what it is. It just doesn't happen except really important life-changing things. Like when my high school basketball team lost the sectional championship. I bawled like a baby. And I just want to tell you that for some reason in our society, we see tears, we see emotion as weakness. What if, what if that's not what it is? What if our tears are indicators of the burdens that God is placing in our life? What if God has made some of you who are more emotional, more sensitive to what the Spirit of God could be doing and more willing to respond and be obedient to it. If we're being a vessel of God, that's a pretty important thing. I will tell you, there have been a number of really actual important moments in my life where I have been moved to tears. Before marrying my wife, Lisa, in the back there, having our first child, I can remember most of all the tears that are shed when we found out our unborn son, Jackson, had a genetic disorder. And many of you know his story. But I did something during that period of time in my life that I had never really experienced before. I had prayed and cried before in my life, but I had never wept and called out on the burden from the Lord before. And I can remember we went into that first doctor's appointment when we found out that he had a genetic disorder. And the doctor was very nice and kind, but he essentially encouraged us that this wasn't going to go well and that it was completely legal to abort that, the child. And this morning is not about that, but I share that to say we chose a, a different path. We began to pray. We began to pray that our son would, would make it full term, which wasn't supposed to happen. We began to pray that God would use his life and began to pray in a way that we never had before. And I've talked a lot about my son, but I haven't talked about what happened during that time in me spiritually. See, my son's life, because of all that prayer, I believe, he made it full term. And then he lived two weeks, and we thought we were about a weekend going to get to take him home. And then he failed a breathing test, and two weeks to the day of when he was born, he passed away. And I wept like crazy, wondering where God was. And God was faithful in that moment. 
He ended up using my son's story to lead all kinds of people to Christ and planted this church out of that. It was during the first year of pre-launch of this church. And we actually closed on the purchase of this first building as a three-year-old church on my son's birthday. There's actually something in the, the children's ministry area. There's a little thing that says track 223. I think it's the train back there. It's because February 23rd, that's when he was born and when we purchased this property. And we always looked at that as like the providence of God demonstrating that my son is not in heaven wishing that his life could have been used less than many people who live 95 years on the planet because so many people came to Christ and are still coming to Christ because of the beginning and the emotional drama of that experience. But what it did in me, I was not anticipating. Began to pray and have a burden for my son and that he would be healed and that God would use his story in a way I'd never had it fasted for weeks at a time. And, you know, anytime we read about fasting, we think like giving up social media or TV and that's fine. But actually every time in the Bible, it's giving up food. And so relying on that most vital sustenance that we could receive, counting on that God will provide for us. And that burden as I wept and cried and prayed, we began to see how it changed me spiritually. That sometimes the greatest work and the revival begins in the faith that has changed within us. I used to, believe it or not, when I would get up to, to preach, I would get nervous almost every single time. And I knew at a young age that God had called me to it and I was gifted to do it and all of that. But even I would get up in front of thousands of people in California and preach and I would get nervous every single time. I remember going to the school here in Carmel and all of a sudden when we launched this church that changed for me. Because when you've lost a child and you've seen God show up in the way that he has and it puts the reality of the brevity of life in your face, you don't get concerned about these little things that want to distract us anymore. And I've never been nervous, not in a single audience since. Because I know that I can get up here and the only thing that matters is whether or not the spirit of God works in you. I can preach the greatest sermon in the world. It won't make a difference if God's not in it. So I don't really have a whole lot I have to accomplish other than to get you to encounter God through scripture. And so I share all of that this morning because if we could talk about action in the way that 52 days Nehemiah rebuilds the walls and all the great things he accomplishes, but doesn't happen without chapter one, without the spiritual change that must occur in us as American Christians. The giving up of our vocation and understanding of the way that the world works. Begin to call on the spirit of God to use us in a way that we have never experienced or seen before. So I want to talk about three simple points, how to ignite spiritual change in our life. What if that emotion wasn't a roadblock, but the catalyst for change? The emotion that I saw from, from praying over my son has catapulted me at least over the last decade of my life to just serve him in every way I possibly can. And I fall short and I get distracted. And I believe that this year with the pandemic and the election and everything else going on, many American Christians have gotten distracted on both ends. And we're only concerned about whether we win arguments on social media or we have the right way or this person gets elected or this person doesn't. And I'm going to tell you right now that the spirit of God is not concerned about those things. They matter. They're important. We need to discuss them. But the Spirit of God right now sees the hurting people in our communities in the wake of impact he could be making if we were living as a vessel rather than telling them what to do. I knew this wouldn't be popular, but man, I want to tell you in Scripture as we read these verses, it should change your life. He, Nehemiah here, the first thing he does is he acknowledges what burdens him. He doesn't pretend like it's not real. He allows the emotion to seep in and look at verse four again. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed 
before the God of heaven. I'm going to skip down to the question, what, what was the last thing you really prayed for? See, I want you to know if you're not a Christian, if you are hurting, we have been praying for you. If you're attending online right now and you have been so anxious and so afraid of the things in the world, we are praying for you. If you have been having anger overflow in your daily life, we are praying for you. Because I believe that the, the Spirit of God, like you see in Nehemiah, can change our reality in 52 days. He could rebuild our spiritual walls. I used to turn the radio off when we were going through that with my son, and, and whenever I would drive anywhere, I would just commit that to prayer. I would just pray. I would no longer listen to the radio. It seems like a small thing, but I just saw how God began to change in me as I was hitting my knees and on my face praying before God. Nehemiah in this passage just moved to tears. The most important thing is what burdens God, not what could change his life. In fact, he's going to give everything up to serve the Lord and be obedient to what he's calling him to. I love the way H.G.M. Wilson, this Oxford professor, says this. Nehemiah first answers his vocation, not with action, but as is right with prayer and prayer lasting some four months at that. This period of waiting upon God is not to be regarded as a sign of weakness on his part. From the later narrative, we know that the, he was a dynamic man of action. But if a true vocation has not been received to serve God, such a testing time of waiting is often to be expected. Prayer during such a period will be an indication of whether the call has been genuine and whether commitment to it is unwavering. See, spiritual impact is made when, when what bothers God bothers us. And we go to him in prayer and fast and mourn and weep and call on the God that created the universe to intercede on our behalf. That we desire to be his vessel, to be used by him. So you have to acknowledge the burdens. What if God gave you a heart for some of the hurting people in our communities for a reason? You acknowledge it. By the way, all three of these points start with an A this morning. We're going to recharge our spiritual triple A batteries this morning just so you could remember it. We're going to acknowledge it. And number two, we're going to admit that we're broken. This is, I feel like people miss this whole part throughout the Bible, including in this passage with Nehemiah. And I want to show you why I'm fired up about this. See, Nehemiah weeps and he's got to be angry, doesn't he? Like, he has to see the decimation that happened to their city. He's got to be mad at the Babylonians. He's got to be mad at the Persians. He's got to be thinking, hey, it's time, baby. We're going to knock some heads. This is angry. Didn't you see in the New Testament? Jesus flipped over the, the temple tables because righteous anger is upon us, and we must go out and rise up and act. I find it really interesting that I believe in righteous anger. I believe that when something burdens you, that burdens the heart of God, I believe that things can make him angry and jealous. But let's not get that out of context. Many of us use that as an excuse to let go and release our anger upon unrelenting people. And what ends up happening is this righteous anger concept we completely misconstrue. It's one of the only times in the Bible that you actually see God doing something like this, at least in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. And what actually, remember what was happening there? Do you guys remember? It was that the house of prayer 
where they were meant to be worshiping God had turned into a place of money exchange that he referred to as a den of thieves. And what he was so angry about, what surely was righteous anger in this passage, was they had forgotten about God. And he was so frustrated and upset, that's what occurs. And Nehemiah in this passage, rather than just acting out against the Persians, he doesn't see them as a spiritual enemy. Instead, look what he does here. I read verse 5, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your, com- your servants, the people of Israel. And then look at this. And then go and destroy those Persians because they're the bad people that did this to us. Look what he did instead. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He essentially confesses and does this beautiful thing here. He repents. So he weeps, he prays, he repents of his contribution to how this has occurred. One of the verses that I love that you may have heard this year, 2 Corinthians excuse me, Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And we focus on the last three words, heal their land, and we forget the rest of the verse is about you and I repenting and confessing our sins. Now look, I don't think the virus was given because of a sin you did last week. Okay, so please hear that. But what I'm saying is that rather than focusing on and getting angry at every human being around us, see the spiritual battle that is going on where the enemy is wanting to distract you and me and instead repent and confess our sins to one another and ask the Lord Almighty to heal our land because he realizes the battle is not against the Persians. Remember Ephesians chapter six, put on the full armor of God. Why we put on the armor of God? To go tell those people online why they're wrong. No, look, 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 look what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against social media influencers that got it wrong. Take a stand. Why? Against the devil's schemes. In Hebrew, the Hasatan, the Satan, the adversary the devil, however you want to refer to him. He is our enemy. He is the one that is causing destruction. He is the one that wants to get American Christians distracted, polarizing with one another, rather than living out the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ in our community and calling ourselves to repentance and that people might encounter the love of Christ in a way that it transforms our cities naturally. I want you to hear, I'm not saying that the other stuff is bad. What I'm saying, what is the most good is to love our, our God, our Father the great Shema, and to love our neighbor as ourself. The the love of Christ is what transforms our community, that your battle is not with your boss or your kids or your husband or your wife or a different political position or your kid's sports coach, although they may be wrong. (laughs) Our battle is against the enemy. In the middle of a 
pandemic and the chaos of this world, if we as Christians aren't battling the enemy and we're getting distracted to who the enemy is, what's going to happen to everybody else? If we want to ignite revival, we got to begin with spiritual life change in us. We need to set up some prayer rooms in our home and begin getting on our knees and seeking the face of the Lord. I love C.S. Lewis' quote from Screwtape Letters. It's funny how mortals always picture us as, as a fictional book about if demons were, were talking. It says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. To keep out the acknowledgement of what the enemy wants to do in our lives right now, what his plan for the next 52 days are, what he's been doing in our homes, telling us there's no hope. Some of you, if we're being honest, you have drank way too much alcohol in the last eight months. Some of you, we've turned to to drugs as a means of escape. Some of us have turned from relationship to relationship. Some of us have turned to watching YouTube channels that bring the anxiety upon us of the things we already agreed with before we watched them as escapes. Rather than turning to the heart of God and repenting and saying, God, we need more of you work in our lives. Number three, I told you they had three A's. You got to acknowledge, you got to admit, and then you got to allow God to fight for you. Look at these last three verses. I think it's incredibly important. They are to your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. It's his mighty hand. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then there's this little weird statement. I was the cupbearer to the king. Why do he say that? Who cares? See, for Nehemiah, as we close out that section, he says, I was cupbearer to the king. And you may not think that's significant because we don't know what that means. Cupbearer to the king was a very prestigious role within the kingdom. He essentially has to be super trusted by the king because he would taste the wine before the king would taste it. So the king had to trust that he wasn't going to try and kill him. So no one got to that status without a whole lot of respect in the community. He had to be revered bodily by the king, by the other people in the kingdom. He was somebody that had it going on. People knew that he was important. And here he's going to give all that up and he's going to weep and he's going to pray and he's going to go back to Jerusalem. And he's in 52 days. He's going to ask God, please provide, come through for us, fight our battles, rebuild the spiritual wall. We can't do it without, we're just your servant. We're a vessel, God. You're the one doing the work. We need your help. We need you to intercede on our behalf. We need your move right now in our lives. But it took that spiritual life change of him giving up his vocation. And if I'm going to be honest with you, some of us need to give up that our identity is found in our career and the things that we're going to accomplish this next year. Some of us need to give up our identity that it's in our kids' sporting activities or in what their educational academic prowess is. Or some of us are going to need to give up that donkey or that elephant or you're going to be sitting here so distracted for the next four years, you're going to miss out on what God is doing. And you're going to be so concerned about the enemy that isn't your spiritual enemy, but one that you have identified 
And I believe that that burdens and breaks the heart of God because he told us to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourself. And we have to begin by calling out to God to make impact in our communities and calling out to God to please save us and redeem us. And we confess and we repent of the things that we have done because some of us have sinned against God and sinned against our fellow humans. And we have looked in pride rather than humility and we won't repent and ask the Lord to intercede on our behalf. And please hear me. I love you guys. I believe in all those powerful discussions. I don't think there is anything wrong with them. I think we need more of them, not less. But I want to tell you that if it doesn't begin with this humility of repentance before the Lord Almighty, we will never see a move of God, a revival in our lifetime. We'll see a whole bunch of striving and actions by Christians to try and make things better in our community, and God won't be in it. I'll tell you, we don't need the lights and the stage, and we don't need all this stuff if if we've got the spirit of God in our life on a daily basis, I want to tell you it's the greatest testimony the world will ever see to see you and I acting differently in the workplace and in our home and in our communities. And some of us, we've just been looking like everybody else. And so my heart is, my heart is that we would have the type of faith that could believe that what we currently can't see, people loving each other, people repenting and turning towards the Lord, people acknowledging the, the spiritual battle that the enemy is trying to be destructive in our lives, that we, do, we just think it's not possible. We need to give up. We need to fight for ours. I want to tell you it's not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell that the enemy wants us to believe. God wants you to believe that the Spirit of God is still living and active and moving today just like he was in the New Testament times and his Holy Spirit is redeeming people right now. We baptized another person on Wednesday night. We've had more baptisms this year in the history of our church. Almost 30 of those were baptized in bathtubs in the home. I don't care what happens over the next three months of, in our communities, in our world. The Spirit of God is living and active. If it changes your heart, if it changes your soul, if you stop worrying about your human enemies start worrying about your spiritual enemy we're going to see a change in our communities and it's going to overflow around us because that's what happens when the vessel is full it overflows into other people around us you don't need to worry about that anymore god is on the move and he's going to change things for us but we got to pray we got to weep we got to mourn we got to fast we got to repent we got to ask god to intercede on our behalf so i'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now god first let's start with me i confess god that i too often i i know that I think I have the right answer on everything. And rather than being slow to speak and quick to listen, I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. And I repent, God. God, that we as Christians in America, we have felt like this year that we are under attack and that may be true. But I know as we pray this time of year for persecuted Christians, we don't even know a millionth percent of what it's like to truly be persecuted. And so we cry out for our brothers and sisters around the world that just to meet together, that they fear for their lives. God, give us the type of faith that we're willing to to give up our vocation, to give everything up. Why do we think, God, that you will only be there if good things are gonna happen? We serve a Messiah who was crucified on a cross, God. You told us to live our life as a ransom for many, to pick up our cross daily and follow you. It doesn't mean that we're gonna be rewarded this side of heaven. So Holy Spirit, like the many martyrs, the witnesses of the faith for centuries upon centuries, that we would be willing to lose our very life for the cause of you, Jesus, to love one more person, to know you, God, that your Holy Spirit is living and active and we need to repent of anything in our lives that is not of you 
And so if that's you in the room, I want to invite you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, to receive eternal salvation and life with him forever, and to receive the relinquish of all of the fear and anxiety and the worry and the anger that's getting you distracted from what God is already doing in our communities. Pray with me right now, God. I repent of anything in my life that is not of you. Forgive me for trying to fix this world rather than allowing you to use me. And so right now, we call on you. We confess our sinful ways. Forgive us for our wrongdoing. We believe and receive your grace and we surrender our lives to you fully. Use us, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray and all God's family said, amen.